0: Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means tonight, the 15th of February 2020, we are talking about Goodbye Iowa, which aired February 15th, 2000. Okay, so what am I doing on a Saturday night? Well... (laughs) Locking myself up in a closet and talking to you guys about Buffy. Naturally. Naturally. Okay. So, I feel like I don't really want to talk about this episode. I just feel... I... uh. So, let's start with... Okay. Let's go ahead and start with... I got some listener mail, which is very exciting. It doesn't happen often from Cheryl Baby. May I call you Cheryl Baby? (laughs) If not, let me know and I will never do it again. Okay, so she has been, her emails have been featured. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull up my email same time as I'm talking and I'm just not that good. She is a wealth of beautiful information. So last week I talked about how it felt really weird that like they just, you know, they're building up Professor Walsh's character all season, and then they just suddenly kill her off. It just seemed very anticlimactic. And so I just wanted to go ahead and read her email. Yes, I watched Buffy as it was airing. I'm out. Oh, wait, huh? Nah, that's one of her older emails. I saved them all. Okay, there we go. Just wanted to let you know that you're correct in your thoughts about Lindsay Krauss leaving the show. I give season 4 a lot of leeway because both Seth Green and Krauss left the show unexpectedly. Krauss was a big deal at the time and it was a big deal for Buffy to get her for the show. It was planned that she would be the big bad so I suspect there would have been a lot more character development for her. Then they had to scrap everything at the last minute and we got Adam. But we also got Hush, Restless, and a few other truly great episodes. No shit, man. Like... I love Hush as much as the next guy, but restless, restless is my jam. Um, regarding Tara and Willow, I also give Willow a pass based on my experiences as a closeted lesbian at the time. You very much felt like you had to live in two worlds and it was extremely difficult to spend time with someone you had feelings for, but have to hide those feelings from the people around you. I can feel Tara's pain as well. So that was in response to I was um suggesting I didn't like the way that Willow was was treating Tara like you know not even mentioning her as a friend and um I have to d- I did sort of think about this afterwards so I'm glad you brought it up Cheryl because that's something that like I will never truly understand not only because I didn't grow up as a closeted lesbian <laughs> I I realized pretty early on that I was bi, but it never felt like a struggle to me. I was one of those kids. I've just recently been like, immersing myself in astrology and figuring out what all the different planets and houses and all that crap means. And you know, if you, if you are to believe any of that shit, there's a lot of shit in my chart about identity and telling the truth about your identity and being very rooted in self-expression and identity. And that's definitely something that is me from the beginning. And I, I mean, I recognize that I have some privilege, which led me to this Behavior, But I was able to, like, pretty much as soon as I realized that I was bisexual, I kind of just unceremoniously announced it to my mom in the middle of, like, just some random moment. And that was just how I was. I would just blurt out things and just kind of stare somebody down and, like, be like, Okay, you're going to deal with that. How are you going to react to that? You're going to have to react to it because that's my truth. And I just shouted it at you. And so that is something that sometimes it just totally, I miss it whenever there's those little nuanced moments where somebody doesn't feel safe to, I was privileged enough that I, there were no consequences for me announcing that kind of stuff to people around me um because if they couldn't take it then fuck them that's that's how i was that's why i was a goth kid pretty much (laughs) because i wanted to filter out the assholes that couldn't deal with something trivial like the way i looked and so but i also had the privilege to do that not everyone can just do that and so I was you know I totally didn't see that that willow is just doesn't even know what she's dealing with um, so of course she's going to be secretive about Tara's existence because she's not ready to open those floodgates she's not ready to go down that rabbit hole um, of like why does she care so much about Tara she's not a, ready to confront it so thank you so much for pointing that out Cheryl okay not sure if you noticed, but Willow used the doll's eye in the spell she did at Giles's. She had it in her hand and placed it on her dresser when she returned to her room after spending the night at Terrace. I take that as a sign that their relationship must have progressed to some level. Willow wasn't comfortable taking it earlier, but obviously changed her mind. My head headcanon is that they at least told each other how they felt and likely kissed. So that's really so cool. So cool. I I did not notice that at all. I looked up Doll's Eye Crystal because that's what they called it in the show. Um, I don't think it's an actual thing in real life, <laughs> but it was, I mean, obviously the thing that they had was a thing. It might've been an actual rock, but it probably isn't called Doll's Eye Crystal because the only references after I Googled it were to the, this episode of Buffy. Uh, back to the email, thanks again for all the effort you put into the show and sorry to hear about the health issues for your cat. Having sick pets can be very stressful. thanks, Cheryl. Update on the cat situation. We were finally able to let her out of her quarantine this last week um, if if you, this is your first time listening, my cat had a urinary tract infection that took a really long time to clear up, and um, my vet is thinking she might have feline lower urinary tract disease. I choose to believe that she just had a really bad urinary tract infection. And hopefully, you know, we're, we're being like, we're changing some habits, giving her like, you know, better food. We're cleaning her cat box more often. Like hopefully we will be able to help keep her healthy. But for now she is doing great. And I am so happy. Um, our pets are all healthy again. And I'm still on the mend. Um, from my tooth implant that I got a few weeks ago and things are going good in my household I'm actually like I have more energy and I feel happier than I have in a long time so that's just a little personal aside let's talk about Buffy so because it is Saturday night and I'm hanging out in a closet talking to you guys about Buffy that means it's time for me to take a shot of whiskey and I'm gonna make you guys listen thank you so much All right, so uh, I'm just, I don't really like this episode. And I get it. I get it. Um, The overall themes of like the character development in season four are interesting. And it looks like they were setting up something really interesting with Professor Walsh. Um, according to what I saw, I just watched, um, The Passion of the Nerd, a YouTube channel. He has like a Buffy guide as well on his YouTube channel. Um, it's really good. And I just watched that. And from what he said that backs up Cheryl, what Cheryl said is that Lindsey Krauss, basically just like Seth Green, like both of them kind of. Like, they had bigger arcs. Like, Lindsey Krauss was supposed to be the big bad of the season. You know, Oz was meant to stick around a lot longer. But both of them asked to get out of their contracts early. And so then they were abruptly written off the show. So, that explains everything about what went wrong in season four. And I've actually, you know, like, people have always complained about season four, and I never really saw it as being a weak season necessarily, but I didn't watch season four like in real time. I didn't see it until, um, years later and just a couple of years, I saw it like when it was on reruns or something like around the time that season six was airing. So I, you know, have always watched it in quick succession. So it was, it was easier for me back then when I was just binging Buffy whenever the fuck I felt like it, which is how I've normally watched Buffy in my life. It was easier for me to be like, no, I love season four because I can list you know, all the great episodes. There's the two-parter with Faith waking up from the coma, which we get to talk about next week, guys. We get to talk about part one next week. And I just, like, can't even wait. Like, I just want to stop recording right now and just, like, wait until next week before I even say anything else about Buffy, because, like, this episode is is painful. But, you know, and I can name, you know, like Cheryl did, Restless, Hush. We've got That two-parter, we've got the new man, the Giles, like turning into a demon thing, something blue where, I mean, there's so many great one-off episodes in the season, but the big bad really fell off the rails. And, um, even like the stuff with Tara and Willow's relationship, like they're doing a pretty good job with it. But it could have been better. And now I understand part of the reason why it could have been better is, you know, it's just, it must have been just like a total train wreck behind the scenes at this point. Because like Joss Whedon's trying to, to run both shows, Angel and Buffy. And it's obvious to me that he cares more about Angel. Because right now, like week to week, the Angel episodes are sometimes... I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily better overall than the Buffy episodes, but they're the best versions of Angel episodes that you will ever get. And, you know, it just seems like, ooh, he has a fun new project to do. And he didn't proper, he just thought that he could do both and didn't properly find people to take over for him on Buffy. And then there were the unforeseen things like Seth Green and Lindsay Krause leaving earlier than they were supposed to. And then they had to figure that shit out plus his he was probably really focusing on the bigger episodes like hush and restless and the two-parter that we're about to get into and just kind of i don't know i feel like season four both has like some of the very best standalone episodes ever and the best and the worst standalone episodes ever just seeing them by themselves you know like this goodbye iowa Like, this is not a good episode. There are some good moments. This isn't one that I would skip. There are good little moments here and there. Okay, let's get into the actual notes here. I'm going to start writing down. (laughs) Like, I think I'm really, I've always paid attention to what Giles Anthony Stewart Head is doing as far as prop work, but, and I do like to point it out with you guys, But I think I'm going to start paying even more attention and take notes as to, like, every time he's doing anything. So this episode begins right where the last episode left off. Buffy has just told everyone at Giles' house that no one is safe around the initiative. And then she begins this episode with the exposition of Maggie just tried to kill me and how that went. Um... And at this moment, Giles is, he's folding a towel or something. And I, and that kind of like brings me back. Oh yeah, he's folding a towel because he just got done. Like Spike is still there at Giles' house. Um, because he just got done taking that tracker out of Spike. So he's just sort of cleaning up. In this scene, he's like, while he's talking to Buffy about all this stuff, he's just sort of cleaning up. Which is just cute. It's just cute as fuck. I don't know. I don't know why. I just, it brings so much more realness when you see someone actually doing something with their hands. You know, it's made me start to, Anthony Stewart Head's performance in Buffy and the fact that he's always doing something has led me to start paying attention to other actors and what they're doing. And like in this scene alone, like almost everybody is just like, um, Allison Hannigan who plays Willow is just sort of hugging herself and Buffy is just sort of like gesturing and being crazy Aries lady, even though she's not an Aries. but you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> or he might not, but <laughs> um, he just, uh, oh, he's so good. Anyway. Later in the scene, you see him sort of carrying candles over to his desk. Like, he's clearly, like, putting things away after things were put into turmoil when he had to do emergency surgery on Spike. He's just putting all of his things away. And he is able to talk about, like dire situations of, Ooh, we can't trust the initiative. Oh my God. I can't believe Maggie Walsh tried to kill you. And like, why would she want to do that? And like, all of this shit is happening. He's able to talk about that while he's tidying up, you know, Mm. beautiful. Okay. Um, okay. Spike at one point, he's just being like, I thought like the first time I watched the episode the other day, the, the time that I, the first time I watch it during the week, I don't take notes. And I thought to myself, wow, Spike is really leaning into how manipulative he can be, how, like, passive-aggressive he can be. He likes to get into people's heads. Like, he's always kind of done that, but he really is shifting as a character now that he's neutered vampire. All he can do now is do violence against other demons and, like manipulate and get into the heads of humans like that's all he can do now and it is a strength that he has but he's really been turning it up a notch so he says to Buffy you do have bleeding terrible taste in men and Buffy's like what are you talking about this has nothing to do with my taste in men and then you know Spike suggests that Riley could have something to do with the fact that Maggie Walsh was trying to get her killed. You know, he's in the initiative. Do you think he was out knitting booties while you were, you know, whatever. And Buffy immediately brushes that off. She's like, no, she made sure that Riley was far away when she sent me on that mission. Um, so they, Buffy suggests that they all go into hiding. So the initiative, they know where Giles' house is, um, They know where Willow's house is. I don't know. They kind of, you know, blazed over that because I'm guessing Willow's parents' house. Um, It wasn't even suggested that they go back to Buffy's place. They were just like, we'll we'll stay in Xander's basement. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo. And Giles, his immediate reaction is, absolutely not. I will not squat in that dank hole. (laughs) Oh giles so i'm not literally working on it yet but y'all know i love tarot because i mention it often um i am at some point i would like to create my own pop culture related tarot deck i might just make it for myself and like make a few copies available for like patrons on my patreon or something um it's not gonna probably be like a big deal or anything but i am I have been sure for a long time now that my King of Swords, which is very much a washer card, is going to be Giles, my King of Swords. And this moment is a perfect exemplification of that because the King of Swords is somebody that, like, he's extremely book smart. He's very witty and blunt, and he will tell you the truth immediately. He's very much like, my queen of swords might be cordelia you know what i'm saying like not not that the two of them are together in a king and queen sense cuz that is not my fanfic but i'm just saying she has that same element and giles is like he's he has tact for sure, but he does not shy away from just telling you the straight truth. And this moment of absolutely, it was just a gut reaction for him. Absolutely not. I will not squat in that dang hole, which is hilarious. Then Riley barges in, um, he notices, uh, Spike, Hostile 17, and he just does not know who to, who to trust. Xander gets really protective because Riley's just being, he's, he's flying off the handle right now. He's spiraling already. And Xander just sort of jumps in and is like, hey, hold on a second. It was, Bubby's the one that almost just died because of your beautiful Professor Walsh so calm down a little bit and he does take a step back you know he he does calm down a little bit but he doesn't know who to trust he's like why are you harboring hostile 17 what the fuck buffy what's going on i don't i don't know what's up or down um and then he just kind of has to leave pretty abruptly buffy's trying to like calm him down and be like well we don't we don't know what's going on like what do you think is happening like she did try to kill me You know, she's, she's pretty tactful about it. Like she, she doesn't get too aggressive with him. She's being gentle with him. And yeah, I mean, this episode does, for all of its faults, it does remind me in several different instances about how Buffy's character, she really is very, she's very empathetic. She does, I mean, sometimes, I mean, often, I mean, all the time, she's pretty self-involved, but she can see what someone else is going through. If she chooses to look and turn on her empathy, she has it. It's there. She's very sensitive to Riley's psyche throughout this episode. She's like, okay, I gotta be gentle with him. And she immediately understands that his whole like life structure is falling apart. He doesn't know who to trust. He doesn't know if he's the bad guy or not. Like he is falling apart and she sees that immediately. He doesn't have to tell her that she understands it. And that's pretty cool. Um, Adam takes apart a boy, which is obviously like a huge rip off of the whole, like, um, Frankenstein's monster scene from the original, um, Was it in Bride of Frankenstein? I feel like that scene was in Bride of Frankenstein. That was the good one. Bride of Frankenstein was actually a really fucking good movie. Even though you only saw the bride in like the last 10 minutes of the movie and she just hissed at everyone. But damn it, Elsa Lanchester. She looked good. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So. (laughs) Riley has to go. He just like storms out and he's on a walkabout because he just has to, he just has to walk all night and think about things. Have you guys ever done that? Have you guys ever just like been so upset that you go walk until dawn? I kind of wish I could do that. Like I would, I would have a lot more like muscle definition and fitness in my life if I, if I just dealt with my problems by going on a walk. (laughs) Instead, I just curl up into a ball and rock back and forth when I'm having problems. (laughs) much less uh, of a, it's not a good coping mechanism. I feel like going on a walk to think that's a better coping mechanism. I should really get into that life. Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. Let's just like, I just want to like blow through this. Like I just don't want to talk about this episode. I really don't. So Riley's in a walkabout science guy finds Walsh dead and Adam gone. Giles wakes up. I'm reading my notes just straight up right now. Giles wakes up in a beanbag that is a funny shot that is like something that that there's probably a gif of it where he's like um Xander has like a disco ball and it's sort of reflecting into Giles's eye and he's sleeping in like it looks like a beanbag chair in this shot but later it looks like a blow up chair so I think it's just some kind of blow up chair or something and that's what he was sleeping in and he just sort of like wakes up because the disco ball is shining in his eye and he looks so fucking annoyed and I love it I love it so much um Anya Willow and Buffy watching cartoons that is also a really sweet shot like they're on a hideaway bed and they're all covered up in blankets and they're just watching cartoons and you just don't really see (sighs) that is something that we're just really not gonna see ever again like Anya Willow and Buffy like they're not really bonding in the scene but this could have been the beginning of like the three of them having a nice girly friendship and you really do not get girl friendships in Buffy unless it's Buffy and Willow and that's it that's all you get because Willow is willing overall to just like deal with all of Buffy's self-involved bullshit and it's always about her Like Buffy cannot, she's just cannot be friends. She is with other women. She is a child of the patriarchy, you know? Anyway, she does have a, have a nice friendship with Tara in season six, but again, that's pretty much because Tara happened to notice shit that was going on with Buffy and helped her and like kind of became her therapist a little bit. And I guess Buffy ends up having a relationship with her little fucking sister, but I don't know. I just, I know I always pointed out, but I have to mourn the death of the non-existence of female friendships in a fucking show about a, a woman centered around a woman, you know? Okay. Willow at one point um, I wrote down that she wrote your life resists all things average because I kind of just start talking to her while they're watching cartoons together. They're kind of talking about like, you just really need a normal, boring boyfriend. And Buffy's like, I know that was the plan. (laughs) Like, why is he complicated now? Um, Giles uh, brushing his teeth because I wrote down in this episode, every single thing that, that Anthony Stewart head does with props. Like he, He comes in and he, like, gripes at them for the... Turns the cartoons off and everything. Which totally brings me back to my childhood because my mom hated the sound of cartoons. She thought they were annoying and she wouldn't let us watch them. So he comes in and kind of, like, squabbles at them for watching cartoons and turns the cartoons off. And then he comes back in while brushing his teeth and, like, talking to them while he's brushing his teeth. Which, you know, misophonia, I guess, if you have that problem. But for me i love it i love it when people are talking and eating um drinking and eating like not when they're like spewing food everywhere or anything like that but just whenever they are still carrying on a conversation while they're eating you know they're still being polite they're not smacking profusely as my mom would have called it (laughs) she used to say that at dinner like every night you guys are smacking profusely (laughs) Meaning that we were, like, making noise while we were eating, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. (sighs) I keep going on all kinds of crazy. Yummy sushi pajamas is my next note, of course. Because Buffy makes, like, a commanding speech. And she's wearing sushi pajamas. Um, So let's go ahead and say, like... I don't know if that's my object of the episode. I would like to have sushi pajamas. However, I don't want them to be white. Like... I would want like a mint green, like vintage mint green avocado or something background to a yummy sushi pajama set, you know? So it's not literally Buffy's pajamas that I want, but I do love the, that is another thing. Like you you can't completely throw away this episode because Buffy making a crazy rousing speech to everyone um, while she's wearing sushi pajamas is just, you know, it's something you need in your life. It's there. It's it's an image. Like, you need it. Okay. Um. So, Forrest is a dick. That's pretty much my, let, my next note. <laughs> they retreat to the ball suite. Because, you know, um, Riley has that poster in his room that says balls and has a bunch of different, like, sports balls on it. Um blah, blah, blah. Riley takes charge instead of following lockdown protocols. And no one seems to have a problem following Riley whenever he directly disobeys orders. So that's interesting. So he's already just sort of like, I don't fucking care that you, you told me not to do anything after they find out Professor Walsh is dead. Um, I'm going to go do something. So that's interesting. You know, he's rebelling. That's cool. Dudes find Spike's lair. Which is weird. Like, they go out to look for the Polgara demon and they break into a mausoleum, which turns out to be Spike's new place. But why? Like, why would they go into a mausoleum to look for a Polgara demon? Polgara? Polgara. Whatever. That doesn't make sense. It's dumb. Um, My next note, forest is so... Teutonic. (laughs) Buffy and Riley meet at the crime scene. He tells her cuz so that at this point they've found out that Adam has or that they at this point they think the Pol- Polgara demon has escaped and um they're at the scene of the crime where he'd taken apart the little boy. Um and Buffy asks him questions and Riley's like it's classified. And she's like, "Oh, really? The pope, that's after he tells her the that Professor Walsh is dead and, you know, he thinks that she maybe had something to do with it Uh, again, he doesn't know who to trust he's just completely freaking out and he says to Buffy that it's classified and she's like, oh, the Polkara demon got her and then escaped and then he's just like immediately like, yes (laughs) every time he tries to keep something from her she just guesses exactly what he's keeping from her it's hilarious Um, let's see. Mm -hmm. Willow goes to see Tara and they do like this whole, I like doing spells with you. I like doing spells with you. (laughs) Thing. Um, So this is the first time I feel like, I mean, I really can't go back that far. You know, it's been, let's see, I probably saw these episodes the for the first time I probably saw them in 2001 or 2002 so it's been like 18 years since I watched season four unfold and even then I had already seen season six so I knew that Willow was gay so I just didn't have like the moment of like I didn't get to live it in real time of seeing this relationship unfold and slowly realizing, Oh shit, Willow's going to date Tara. That's so cool. Like, Oh, I just, I missed out. I missed out. Um, I didn't get to see it cause I didn't have the channel in my area, but at that time between seasons four and six, um, or seasons 4 and 5 I didn't have the channel in my area I know I say that all the time but it's like one of my big regrets in life because first of all one of my big regrets in life is that I did not start watching Buffy from the beginning I saw the previews before the show ever aired and it just looked stupid to me um, so that's a regret and I didn't start watching it until season 3 and then I only got to see season 3 and then it went away for two years and couldn't I couldn't even watch it anyway Sorry, I know I complain about that a lot. But I feel like this is the moment. Let me know, guys, if I'm wrong. Or if you were watching it at the time. Or just even the first time you ever watched it. Even if that was a year ago. When did you realize that Willow and Tara were maybe having a real relationship? When did you realize that they were more than just friends? Was it this moment? Because I feel like this would have been the moment. Um, because you know, it's, it's, it, this is where it finally crosses over for me into actual innuendo. Like they're saying, I was been thinking about that spell that we did all day. You know, I like doing spells with you. I mean, you must know that I like more than just doing spells with you. Right. You know, it's just very heavy handed in that moment. And I feel like at that point, that might be when you're like, Oh, <laughs> cause before that, I might not have realized it. I'm also kind of naive. Like, I, I'm, I did say I was bisexual earlier. I, it's more closely, it's more accurate to say that I'm gray sexual, which if you don't know what that means, there's all kinds of fucking terms these days. But, which I think is good and helpful and cool. But basically, gray sexual means that you don't have sexual desire very often it's very sporadic so i would identify myself as bi-romantic gray gray sexual so like or not even bi-romantic i would say i'm pan-romantic because i don't give a shit like where you fall on the gender spectrum like identify however the fuck you want genitals are weird i don't fucking care what they look like because they're all weird and pink and mushy like who cares um, as long as you're you don't identify as a frat boy, I'm okay. I don't like super masculinized dudes. but anyway, because I am gray sexual, like it doesn't really occur to me that like people are into each other like until way too late. So this might be the moment where I might have started putting it together, but I'm slow. okay. Uh, Buffy goes to Willie to get info. Riley shows up and he is suspicious and sweaty and abusive. He pulls out a gun. He like pushes Buffy around. Like he's really unraveling at this point. This is like the point where you realize like, is he going through heroin withdrawals? What's going on with him? I will give props to Mark Blucas. Like the dude didn't have an acting job until this job. I'm pretty sure. Um, He had been a basketball star. So the fact that, I mean, this is like kind of a thing. He had to go from being like, you know, cool, boring Iowa soldier boy to um, like unraveling in an episode and he does an okay job. Like it's not great, but he does okay. Like better than I would have done my first acting job for sure. He just really, at this point, he does not know who to trust. So Buffy uh, manages to, like, talk him out of... Because, you know, he found Buffy in a demon bar. Like, she's just quizzing Willie for information. And, you know, he finds her there. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're hanging out with demons again. And valid point, you know, Buffy likes to hang out with demons. She does. She who hangs out in cemeteries. Um, we have not seen enough cemeteries lately. You know, like that's another thing that's wrong with season four is like, instead of like all the like extra scenes, she's just like hanging out with dudes in camo pants instead of walking around in cemeteries. Like she's supposed to be. <laughs> um, my next note is nurse Buffy because she just like takes him back to Xander's and like tries to calm him down and blah, blah, blah. And, Riley at one point this is kind of touching you know he he just said I don't I don't know anything who the bad guys are maybe I'm the bad guy and it's it's really sweet and it's heartbreaking and you know then he curls up into a little Riley fetal ball (laughs) um my next note about Anthony Stewart head and props Giles with a box. I don't know what he's doing with that box. He picks up a box from a shelf in Xander's basement, and he's just kind of holding it, moving it around. I'm like, what are you doing with that box, Giles? It looks very purposeful. It looks like he's definitely organizing for a reason, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I like Xander's I Love Dirt shirt. I mean, it's not like, actually a good shirt, but I just like the fact that it just says, I heart dirt over and over. Like, why? I don't know, but I'm okay with it. This was definitely the era, like, 2000 to 2002 was the era of, like, nonsensical, childish-looking t-shirts, um, for sure. I used to have a shirt that had a beaker on it with a face that said, chemistry power, And I had, like, bedazzled it with a bunch of, like, red jewels because it was a bright yellow shirt. And I bedazzled it with red jewels. And I actually, when I first bought it and bejeweled it, I had the intention to send it to the set of Buffy. (laughs) This would have been during, like, season six. The taping of season six. They would have probably been into filming for season seven by the time i would have sent this shirt to them but i never sent it so i just ended up wearing it myself but i just thought that it would be the perfect shirt for willow to wear because it was bright yellow it's it had a beaker on it it said chemistry power and the beaker was like running down a street or something and um i bejeweled it with red jewels and i just thought I want to send this to them and I hope that they use it. I hope they put it on Willow. It would have been so cool if I did that. But at that point, Willow in season seven, she was not wearing things like that. It was now. Like season four, Willow would have worn the chemistry power t-shirt. So I was too late. I was too late, but that's okay. (laughs) Buffy regrets. (laughs) I've got a lot of them. Okay. So... Willows, Ateras, I did draw a little diagram of the spell setup that they had going. It was pretty cool. What it looks like is, it's like a a square made out of several um, strings of hemp. It looks like hemp string made into a square, and at each corner in the square is a stone. There's an amethyst cluster, what could be citrine cluster, There's one that's like, I think it's obsidian. It's definitely a black crystalline structure. So it could be really dark smoky quartz or obsidian. Or maybe even, I don't think onyx forms like that, but maybe, I don't know. And then a quartz crystal. So the four corners, amethyst, citrine, obsidian, maybe, and quartz. So pretty cool pretty cool little setup. I would say that is my featured object of the episode, but, um, I have all of those crystals already and I have hemp strings, so I could make that square happen anytime. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) Um, my next note is Willow is hot for spells. Tara thinks she's going too far. Pyrite dust. Tara's crochet bedspread. Okay. So I really did enjoy you know, just being in Tara's room is just, there are so many things that could be the featured object of the episode. Anytime we're in Tara's room. Um, I do like the, it looked like the, as part of the spell, they had this like dust in their hand and it really looked like little chips of pyrite or something, which has always been one of my favorite stones. Um, so that looked really cool. So that could have been the featured object of the episode pyrite dust. Sure. But what it really is, is Tara's crochet bedspread. As was mentioned in the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, they, were, they mentioned Tara's, like, doily bedspread is what they called it. And they were like, do you think that at one point her and Buffy talked about that? Like, Buffy was like, oh, I have the pillowcases. I don't have the bedspread. And Tara's like, oh, I have the whole set. <laughs> um... So, it's cute. Like, I don't really like white things in general, but the white accents in Tara's bedroom look so cool because her walls are black, her floor is like dark red. Like, all the colors in her bedroom are super dark, except for her candles are white, her, um, her, her Christmas lights, string lights are white, and, her bedspread is beautiful white crochet and it looks so cool because like on top of like some kind of dark red fabric or black or something just like it's white is a cool accent when you're when everything else is super dark like I just want to redo my whole bedroom now (laughs) um I still use I, I use my crochet buffy pillowcases every night they're starting to unravel a little bit but um I need to figure out how to crochet and then I can just put them back together and it'll be fine. (laughs) But anyway, um, let's see what else we got. Oh, I always like to write down some, like when Willow's doing anytime there's spells in Buffy, I like to write down some of the elements in the spells because I like to do spells myself and it's just fun to use like pop culture related spells. (laughs) Um, so I wrote down the quote, we implore you open a window to the world we implore you thespia which i looked up thespia and there really wasn't much information like basically they were just like she's a nymph daughter of a river god that tells me absolutely nothing thank you so much what was she the goddess of what did she do like there just didn't seem to be any information in my like admittedly one minute google search i found like four pages and all they said was daughter of a river god whatever we implore you, Thespia, open a window to the world of the underbeing. The world of the underbeing, guys. Wow. Um, my next note is Xander saying, Why am I not entirely comforted by the arrival of the man-sized microwave? So Buffy has decided they're gonna go into the initiative to try to figure out what's going on with Riley, because she's like, dude, this isn't just grief. Like he's going through something physically. I need to know what's wrong with him. And um So that's the quote of the episode. So I'll say it again since it's the quote of the episode. Why am I not entirely comforted by the arrival of the man-sized microwave? That's when the, like, Buffy's done the retinal scan and it opens up the, like, elevator thing so they can get it to the initiative from the frat boy house or whatever. Um, Xander's super impressed. He's like, can I have sex with Riley too? Like, the whole, like, play acting of being like super impressed by the initiative thing. Um next Giles prop situation. He's making tea. He has like a little plug-in like percolator thing and he's um to heat up water and he's because of course he packed that. Like he's staying at Xander's for who knows how long and he has to pack real fast. He's still packing his percolator. Don't worry. Is that what you call it when it just boils water? You probably don't call it a percolator because it was just like a metal plug-in thing that heats up water. Anyway, he had that and he um, gave a cup of tea to Anya as well. So, the two of them drinking tea. Like, no one else cares about tea, but he at least offers. When he's making tea, he makes sure that if anyone else wants it, he will give some to them as well. He's a host even when he's in Xander's dank basement. Okay? Classy guy. All right. <laughs> oh, Riley. He's so violent in this episode. He wakes up, he finds Buffy gone, and he throws Willow across the fucking room. Wow. And we don't even ever get to see the scene where he apologizes to her. So, that's fucked up. Like, I try to be on Riley's side, but this episode, I can't be on Riley's side. Although I understand he's going through some shit. Okay. Next note, Buffy overhears great exposition about meds in their food, which, come on, man. It was just the last episode that we saw Riley with his, like, alarm taking his daily vitamins. They could have, you know... I mean, like, it's not the meds in his food because he eats in, like, the school cafeteria, right? Like, we've seen him eat there. I don't know. They didn't fucking know what they were doing. Um, Spike's not a man, not still a vampire. Um, I stole that from Buffering the Vampire Slayer too, because, like, he goes to the demon bar and they're all mad at him and they beat him to a bloody pulp. Because he can't, he can't bite anymore. He's fighting demons because he likes to have some kind of violence in his life. And that's all he can fight right now. So he doesn't fit in either world. So something that was pointed out in the Passion of the Nerd um, YouTube channel. That I think is really astute. This season, as far as like the character arcs, is all about breaking down identity. Who are you? Where are... What are you when you've been taken out of your comfortable, your comfortable environment? Like, this is what Riley is literally going through right now, but it's also what all of them are going through. They're no longer in high school. They're out in the real world. They're, they're naked and alone, and they don't know how to define themselves in this new situation. It's, it's just a really scary time, and I do remember that time as being super scary. I remember when I first, I had just graduated high school, And I was making enough money to at like one of my very first adult jobs to have my own apartment. So I thought, of course, that's the next step. I have my own place and I moved out and I just was not ready. I was not ready to be away from my mom. And I probably would have felt like that no matter what, whether I moved out then or five years from then or whatever. I had to go through that, you know, and I just remember like the first night, just like unpacking boxes and just being so despondent, just feeling isolated and alone. And like, what am I doing? Who am I? Like I was literally, I literally had to learn who I was outside of living in a bedroom in my mom's house, which is something that we all have to do. But it was just, it was that feeling like when you're a kid, um, if you're, A weird kid like I was, when you go spend the night with, you know, some friend or something at school, you're spending the night. And then suddenly during the night, you realize, like, this is not comfortable. I don't like it here. I don't want to sleep in this beanbag chair with a disco ball on my face. You know, they're all going through that. Giles doesn't know who the fuck he is. He's not a librarian anymore. Buffy doesn't know who she is. She's not in high school anymore. Riley doesn't know who he is. His whole, like, military world is being being torn apart, and he doesn't know who's good and bad. Like, it's about the environments fracturing around you, and you have to figure out who you are within new environments, or within crumbling environments, or, like, you know, I don't know. So the overall premise of what's going on in this fucking season is good, but sometimes it just is executed badly. I mean, they're all doing it. Willow's, like... Am I gay now? What does that mean? Um, <laughs> Z- Giles is bleh, bleh, bleh. Spike is like, I'm not a vampire. I'm not a man. What am I? I don't know. Am I in love with Buffy? I don't know. I, I was supposed to kill her, but now I love her. I guess, I don't know. When does he make that realization? I can't remember if it's sometime in this season or if it doesn't happen until season five. It's possible it doesn't happen until season five. I feel like it's season five when he realizes he's in love with her. It hasn't happened yet, but... Anyway, uh, so they find out that, like, Riley is part of Professor Walsh's, like, bigger plan. Not only has he been, like, getting some sort of meds through his food, just like everybody else, but, like, he's part of a plan because Adam shows up and starts sticking floppy drive after floppy drive into his chest without taking the disc out. He doesn't take one out before he puts another in. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's terrible. You can tell that they just like constructed his like whole thing so quickly. You know, the general idea of like a scientist putting together parts of a demon with parts of a machine with parts of a human, that is the updated Frankenstein monster. That is a cool idea on the surface of it. You know, if you're pitching that to the writer's room and you're like, okay, Well, it's going to be like Frankenstein's monster reanimated dead, but we're in this Sunnydale Hellmouth world. So we have to have pieces of demon too. And also technology is a thing. The internet's pretty young at this point. It's the year 2000. We're going to need to have a floppy disk drive in this dude. You know, it sounds like a good idea. They just did not have time to execute it properly. And I feel bad for them because, you know, they made him an articulate sort of existential dude, just like Frankenstein's monster originally was, you know, they had a good idea for this monster. They just didn't get to execute it properly. And now I understand why. Thanks to Cheryl. But still, it sucks. It sucks. I mean, it's just like so much regret about what it could have been, you know? Okay. Adam shows up. She was the one that shaped your oath. This, this was like a burn. So Adam says to Riley that professor Walsh was the one. Yes. You had a mother, you had a biological mother, but professor Walsh was the one that shaped your basic operating system. She taught you how to think. And If you go back and look, Buffy's face at that moment was like, oh, fuck. Not only was it like, oh, shit, I wonder what she did to program Riley, but I feel like this was the moment that she truly realized that Riley was never going to work for her because It is true, like, Riley went from probably his regular growing up family structure was probably pretty structured, and it probably, he felt very comfortable in his place. He probably never really had these big existential moments until right now, and then he immediately went to college, and he, you know, got into this military operation where he you know, that whole structure was built for him. His life was regimented. And now he doesn't know, he's grasping and he doesn't, he's having an identity crisis. And the way that he comes out of this identity crisis is basically falling in line with Buffy's worldview, falling in line with, I mean, it makes sense that like, you know, he would end up, he cares about fighting evil and shit too. So it makes sense that he would end up like falling into place as part of the Scooby gang, but he just basically has always had a life where the structure of his life is created by someone else. And I feel like Buffy realizes it in that moment, or I'm putting too much on her, but it, like there was just like this one shot right after Adam said that professor Walsh, op, um, um, structured his basic operating system or whatever the fuck shaped your operating system, your basic operating system. And like those words to her are like, Oh fuck. This is what a normal boyfriend is like. I mean, not really, but I guess that's not necessarily like you don't, but he does need that structure. And ultimately that's why their relationship doesn't work because he wants her to create a structure. He wants to be needed. He wants to be told what to do. And when he's not told what to do and not needed, he doesn't know how to function. And it's like, you can see all of that laying out. Um, Oh, I didn't even say earlier when Tara and Willow were doing the spell, I got like distracted by pyrite dust and the doily bedspread. Tara, like, she was really excited about doing spells with Willow. But then whenever she said something about conjuring a goddess, Tara was like, oh, that's a little too far. She didn't really say it because she's not ready to, like, stand up for herself with Willow yet. But you could tell she was getting a little hesitant when Willow wanted to conjure a goddess to see demon dust or whatever. And she sabotages the spell. Like, while their eyes are closed, she, like, puts the pyrite dust under her little doily bedspread and she sabotages a spell. And so for those little moments, this episode is important. Like, I keep saying, like, Buffy realizing that Riley's always going to need a structure and to be told what to do. And, you know, as self-involved and take charge... As Buffy is she's not here for telling people how to live like she's a little prescriptive when it comes to like general morality in another human but she's not going to tell them what to do and how to structure their lives and that kind of stuff and it was like she was noticing it in that moment and with Tara too like this is the first time you're seeing her sort of disapprove with how far Willow wants to go And this is very near the beginning. You know, they probably already knew. I mean, they've known for years at this point that they were going to take Willow off the deep end at some point. So such a long con. That's why Buffy is a good show, because of those character development arcs. Like, they know that kind of shit so far in advance. Um, And character arc is always my, like, number one priority in fiction. So, okay. So as all this stuff is happening, Riley says, I cannot be programmed. I'm a man. <laughs> I cannot be programmed. I'm a man. <laughs> um, Adam stabs Riley. He kills the lab coat guy that I can't ever remember his name. Professor Dr. Engelman. I think that's right. Um, Forrest S- so Riley's been stabbed and he needs to go to the hospital and Forrest is like we can take it from here we take care of our own around here understand and Buffy's like what the fuck and and Xander's like no seriously let's get out of here like he was super cautious during that entire scene like Xander was just sort of like calm down Riley calm down Buffy like everybody calm like he's just really trying to like be the voice of reason kind of in the background this whole time and he gets Buffy the fuck out of there um, okay. So the outfit of the episode is in this very last scene where it's Buffy and Willow talking like on campus the next day and Buffy's like freaking out. She's like, I shouldn't have let Riley go. I need to be with him. He needs me right now. Blah, blah, blah. She's wearing this really cool like coral sweater and burnt umber hippie skirt with like trees and branches and shit sewn onto it, embroidered onto it. Really good. So that's the outfit of the episode, object of the episode. Again, doily bedspread. Quote, I'm going to go, I mean, there's not really great quotes in this episode. I think I'm going to go with Xander's. Oh yeah, I said that already. Why am I not entirely comforted by the arrival of the man-sized microwave? Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and get to the ratings. Oh, I did want to say, I mean, I did kind of mention this already. Buffy understands Riley's psyche. Like in this moment, like basically the episode ends with Willow telling Buffy, he's going to be okay. Come the fuck down, bitch. And Buffy's like, how can he be? You know, his entire world has been taken apart. He's alone. He doesn't know who to trust. You know, she understands where he is. She and psychically, psychologically, which is cool. Just I just like to point that out. She is aware of where he is. Um okay. Other I didn't even consult my Buffy, my episode guide or anything this week. Um sorry guys. I had a full 8-hour day at work today. So, like those days I'm always just kind of drained. Luckily, both next week and the week after, so the whole time during the two-parter of um, Faith waking up from the coma and Buffy and Faith switching bodies, I do not have to work either of those days, so I will be like fully rested and recording these episodes hopefully during the daytime. <laughs> um, I am a night person, but like I'm not a getting shit done in the night person. <laughs> I just like to hang out. Anyway, whatever. So let's get... So I did the quote, I did the object, I did the outfit. MVP of the episode. I was going to go with Giles just because of, you know, all the prop work. He's great. But I think I'm going to go with Tara. Because she has a moment where she is, she, even though she's super in love with Willow right now and it's great and it's exciting and it's new, she still knows that, you know, there are certain things you shouldn't mess with. I mean, it seemed like kind of an innocuous spell, but she know she knew that she has, this is the first indication that she's going to stand up to Willow. Eventually, this is the first indication that she is a more knowledgeable, witch then she's, she's not really like, you know, bragging about it, but she knows where her boundaries are. And I like that she did something about that. So, I'm just going to give it to Tara five by five. As far as treatment of women in this episode, I mean, it was fine. It's totally fine. I don't know if it really passed the Bechtel test necessarily. Cause this whole episode was just like, everybody was just constantly talking about Riley and how Riley's doing. And like Riley being the center of the story is just, it's not really working. <laughs> um, so treatment of women is fine give it a three. I don't think it was bad necessarily, but wasn't great either. Um, enjoyability of the episode. I did not enjoy it. I did not. So, I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, I've given episode zero before though. So I could give it a one, but it did have moments that were important. So I'll give it a two. So I just feel like every episode lately has just gotten a fucking 6. Okay. I do like to talk about Angel. And this episode of Angel that ever that aired the same night, I've got you under my skin. It is an exorcism story. So, a little boy has a demon. We find out that is possessed by a demon. We find out that Wesley's dad was a dick. So, that was interesting story development that they just kind of like put it in there with like, you don't have to be a demon to terrorize your family or something. You know, he says something like that and you're like, Oh, Wesley, what happened to you? You poor baby. You poor baby. Um, it was fine. You know, I'm not even going to give ratings to it. I don't think it passed the Bechtel test. Oh, really at all. Um, it was fine. I'm not even going to give it ratings. Like whatever. It did lead me, though, to the Angel on Top podcast, which is an angel recap podcast. I listened to the episode while I was cleaning my house yesterday. I don't always listen to that one. Um, I like it, but I just don't always keep up with it because I don't have time to listen to all the podcasts that I like in the world. Um, I like it a lot, but I don't always get there. But I was cleaning my house yesterday, so I listened to it. And they interviewed an exorcist like a non-denominational Hollywood exorcist and she has a book and I just immediately like stopped the podcast, looked up the book on my library's website and we had it checked in. So I went like within like two hours of hearing the podcast, I had the book in my hands. Um, I went and checked it out immediately. And I'm already like two thirds of the way through the book It is crazy, you guys. I don't even know. Like, I don't really want to talk about the angel episode, but I do want to talk about this exorcist chick. Like, first of all, I don't think, I mean, I'm just fascinated by the fact that someone sees, someone believes that they see entities and thinks that they can take them out of people. And I'm just fascinated by that, that whole taxonomy. Like, how does your mind work? What do you think is going on? Why do you think that? It's very interesting. I, I, I'm very skeptical about a lot of it. Like, I don't usually like, you know, whatever you got to believe in this life, go for it. I think energy work is an actual thing. I think that you can, I think that placebos are extremely powerful. So if you really genuinely believe that what you're doing is helping someone and they believe it too, then it probably fucking is, but so I have no doubt that this person is actually helping people by being an exorcist. However, the way that she talks about it is that like 99% of people have an entity that is malevolent because she says they're all malevolent. Like none of them are good. Um, 99% of people have one attached to them and there are different types, you know, ranging from like innocuous to really less innocuous like dangerous innocuous to dangerous i guess and it's all extremely fascinating to me but this chick comes at it from a really like braggy play she's like i have always been able to take care of every demon and sometimes people think that their demons are good or entities she doesn't call them demons sometimes people think that their entities are good and helpful to them but i have to tell them no they're bad they're all bad they're terrible. You need to get rid of this. Um so she's just very you know there's no room for like the way that she sees things. She's like, "Nope, this is the way that it is and it's the way that it is." <laughs> like if I were to even like entertain the notion of thinking that there are entities that are unseen that are around us all the time, which who knows? We don't fucking know everything. It's possible. Um if 99% of people have one attached to them like let's say we believe that let's say we believe that there are invisible entities and 99% of us have one literally attached to our bodies right now let's say we believe both of those things go out on the limb if that were the case i cannot believe that they are all malevolent i got to say there's a bunch of them that are probably completely neutral to humans and there are probably a lot of them that are actually helpful to humans you know if they're gonna attach to us they're not all gonna be terrible really like all of them a b this chick acts like she's the only one that can actually take care of like perform exorcisms like i haven't gotten to the end of the book but the way that she seems to be talking in the book is that like she's the only one that can take care of them and if there really are 99% of us have these things attached to us. And if you want to remove one from you through doing some sort of energy work, which is probably what an exorcism is, I would think that a lot more than one person in the entire world could deal with it. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Anyway, I'm fully steeped in it. Like I didn't want to stop reading that book to record this podcast because it's fascinating to me. Like the inner worlds of the mind of any human are completely fascinating to me. Like I love memoirs. I love just, especially if somebody has a really fucking weird, strange, weird, strange, weird worldview, I want to know what it is. And this chick has definitely got a weird worldview. Like she just sees evil forces everywhere. Like I feel bad for her if she really sees that. But she also thinks, she also says that she can see them through video and pictures. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. If something is like a totally invisible force that you could only like sense and see, like an extra sensory thing, would it show up in pictures and movies? I just feel like it wouldn't. I don't want to say like, I don't know. I hate to, like, I don't like to be a person that poo poohs someone else's worldview. Whatever you gotta do. Like, as long as you're not hurting people, and this chick doesn't seem like she's hurting people, it seems like she's helping people. Like, people that think that they have something that's really sucking their energy out, whether or not it's an actual entity, it doesn't matter. If what she does helps people live their lives better, then she's doing a good thing. Like, I don't want to poo poo on that at all, but I just... I feel like I can't believe what she's laying out. But I'd love to know, like, what do you guys think? Do you think that there are malevolent entities surrounding us at all times? Have you ever felt the presence of ghosts or entities or other, like, extra sensory things? Like, tell me your ghost stories. Like, I'm into that. Um, I'd love to know um, what you think about that. Have you read this book? It is called... What is it called? Sister of Darkness, something about modern exorcist, Tales of a Modern Exorcist, or Chronicles of a Modern Ex. Whatever. I don't have the book right in front of me right this moment, but um, let me know if she seemed really cool in the interview. They did an interview with her on that Angel on Top podcast. If I didn't say that part, I think I did. And she seemed like a really nice person. Like she came off completely differently than she is. In the book, she comes off kind of, like, I don't know, narcissistic and snotty. Just her writing style, I guess. But in the um, interview, she seemed more relatable. But anyway, whatever. Now that I've talked about exorcisms for 10 minutes, (laughs) I guess we're done. Um, I'm just not even gonna, like... It was just basically an episodic exorcism tale. An angel. It was fine. You know, it was totally fine. Um I'm I actually probably enjoyed that episode more than I enjoyed this buffy episode, to be honest. Um but it still wasn't that great. Okay, that's all I got. Um I'm saving my energy for next week when we talk about this year's girl, because fuck, fuck. You guys, I'm so excited. So let's just go ahead and go through the schedule for a second. So we're going to have the two-parter, Faith and Buffy, Switch and Bodies, um, next week and the week after. And then, for all of March, we will have no Buffy episodes to talk about. But that's okay. You know, we might need a little bit of an emotional break (laughs) after... um, Yeah, we're going to need it. We're going to need an emotional break after um, the whole Buffy and Faith situation. And then in April, the first week of April, we'll come back with the Jonathan episode superstar. And then we'll have a couple of weeks off before we come back to, um, then we'll have the crossover. Faith will go over to Buffy at the end of April or Faith will go over to Angel at the end of April. And we'll get to talk about that arc. That's another two-parter. We have two two two-parters talking about Faith coming up in the next little while. And that is exciting to me. That is extremely exciting. And then in May, we'll have, you know, all the episodes to talk about. The rest of the season. We will finish out the rest of the season in May. Um, One episode every week in May. So, exciting that's, that's our schedule. That's our schedule for the first half of 2020. (laughs) And then after May, you know, we'll have the whole summer off and we won't come back to talk about season five until, you know, September or October or something. So it's kind of sad the way that this works out. Like it's always either, you know, I'm talking about Buffy every single week for like three months in a row. And then it's just silence, you know, forever but that's the nature of this project and I'm really happy that I'm doing it. And I'm really happy that you are listening. Like, I appreciate you guys so much. I don't tell you that enough. Um, I really do appreciate it a lot. So um, let me know your thoughts. Mixtress Radio at Gmail is where you can send them and I very much appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will see you guys next week. Bye.